<laughs> I almost, uh, I almost uh, hate to tell you, turning your Bibles the same place that you've turned the last two weeks on Sunday morning. This is the third week in a row. For those of you that maybe you haven't been here, that's Luke 19. Luke chapter number 19. <laughs> I can't help but wonder what what folks might think if I said, you know, I'm not only going to preach from the same place, I'm going to preach the same sermon <laughs> three times in a row. Uh, but I wouldn't do that to you, I don't think. Kind of like Billy Sunday, you know, many of you, the young people never heard of him, but he was a preacher way back years ago that had been a professional baseball player, and uh, the Lord saved him. He started preaching, preached revival meetings all over the country, and so this one church had him to come and preach a, a revival and uh, started out, and he preached about repentance. Well, the next night he preached about repentance. Well, the next night he preached about repentance again. And finally, all of the old deacons and what have they started getting worried about it. And so they said, Brother, you know, can we meet with you? We'd like to talk something over for the next service. And sure. So they got together and said, You, you know, you, you just keep preaching on repentance every night. You know, don't you realize that after a while that's, you know, kind of rubbing the fur the wrong way on the people? And he said, Well, let the cats turn around then, you know. So. <laughs> Sometimes maybe we need the same message more than one time, but this is not the same message, just the same text. Luke chapter 19, verse 12, he said, that is the Lord, he said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy Till I come. I've preached on that word occupy the last two weeks. This morning I want to preach on the rest of that verse, the final words, till I come. That speaks about the duration of our duty. That tells us that no generation is exempt from serving the Lord. No generation is exempt from, from keeping their focus on the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just amazed at how easily glorious truths of the Bible can be forgotten. And in this case, I'm talking about the return of Christ. You'll remember that Paul called it the blessed hope. And I suspect all Christians would... Uh, claim at least that they believe in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, but very few really live as though it's actually true. Because if we believe that Christ could come at any moment, it certainly would make drastic changes in the way that we live. Now, I want to remind you that this text here is a part of a parable. And I want you to see what led up to it. You remember the chapter began with the story about the salvation of Zacchaeus. So our focus was on an individual. And then notice in verse number 11, because here we see what it was that prompted the parable that follows his salvation. It begins, and as they heard these things. What things? Well... 
in regards to the salvation of Zacchaeus. As they heard these things, Jesus said he came to seek and to save that which was lost. As they heard these things, notice he added, I've underlined that word added here in my Bible, he added and spake a parable. And then notice the word because, because he was nigh unto Jerusalem. So he's telling us why he did what he did. Notice, and and because, there was another factor there, and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. Our Lord's preaching and parables were never meant for the purpose of entertaining people. His miracles were messages. And here we see the purpose of this parable. It was because they thought the kingdom of God should come immediately. Remember, the Jews have been looking throughout the centuries for the coming of the Messiah. And uh, when Jesus comes on the scene, claiming, you know, to be as John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And they thought, well, you know, if this is He, if He is indeed the true Messiah, He will immediately set up His kingdom here on earth. And they were all for that because it would relieve them from the bondage of the Roman government. So they voted for that most certainly. But you've got to give these guys some credit. At least they were listening to what He said. He was talking about the kingdom and they're listening to that. They're just confused as to when the kingdom was going to come. They believe that He's going to set up the kingdom here on earth, restore Israel to her former glory, give them a position of prominence among all of the nations. And they didn't understand that Jesus did not have that in His plans at this time. They didn't understand that He was going to die first, be buried, be raised from the grave, ascend back into heaven and wait for an unknown period of time and then come back to the earth. So they had no knowledge of what we refer to as the church age or as I mentioned last week, the last days, this period of time that we're living in. They, they didn't know anything about that. And it was for this reason then the Lord spoke the parable. Verse 12, notice He said... A certain nobleman went into a far country, notice, to receive what? For himself a kingdom and to return. Now, if we're to believe anything Jesus said, then we must believe everything He said. If He lied to us in one place, we don't have any confidence in Him anywhere else. Do we? I mean, how can you trust someone that lies to you? And so if he says he's going to return, then there's no room for any doubt. As Hebrews 10.37 says, For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. He will not tarry. His coming was prophesied by the prophets. You look all through the Old Testament. And again and again you see them prophesying His coming. Not just His coming whenever He comes as a sacrifice for our sins, but His coming to this earth to reign upon it. It was promised by the Lord Himself. He said, if I go away, 
I will come again. It was predicted by the angels. It was preached by the prophets. And uh, so we have every reason to believe that Christ is going to return. And yet a lot of folks are confused about it. Those that were following Christ at this time of the parable, they believe that it had come, that it's here finally. And he's in the process of establishing his kingdom. Most people today, you know, believe that he won't come. You just talk to the average man on the street somewhere. You know, that might be a Baptist, a Methodist, a Catholic, or whatever. But you talk to the just the average person. They don't really believe Christ is going to come back to earth and set up a kingdom on this earth. The true believers know that he will come back because he said he would and he can't lie. We know that, but very few really believe that he could come at any moment, at any moment. Do you realize the early church believed that Christ could return at any moment? Their watchword was Maranatha, which means the Lord comes. As they would meet one another in the streets, they would greet each other with that word Maranatha. They uh, again and again and again greeting one another with that wonderful promise that our Lord is coming. It wasn't until the false teachers entered in and began to confuse the people that all of these questions came up. And Peter, of course, writes about that, you know, those folks that the scoffers that said, where is the promise of His coming? You know, for since the prophets, all things continue as they were from the creation of the world, which was totally stupid. Everything hadn't continued as it was since the foundation of the world at all. But they lost sight of that fact. And Peter points out, oh no, there's been some big changes. You remember the flood, by the way. There have been some major changes God's not slack whenever it comes to His promises. He said He would come, and He will come. The strange thing to me is that I can remember when I started preaching 53 years ago, and how that it was so common to hear preachers talk about the second coming. Every revival meeting, you could just bank on it, Every revival meeting would have at least one night during the week where there would be one service that was dedicated to the subject of prophecy. Always. There were radio broadcasts, TV broadcasts that majored on the theme of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet today you hear almost nothing about it whatsoever. No, I mean nothing. It's just the world's gone silent on it. Do you remember what the Bible says? When He's coming? When you least expect it. You see, that gives me even more hope that the Lord could come today because He says, I'm going to come in an hour when you least expect it. I'm going to do something here this morning that uh, I'm going to make an assumption. I'm going to assume that the majority of the people here would say they believe that the Lord could come. Now, I'm not going to go into all of the different details of His coming and all of the, 
you know, the scriptures involved in it. But I'm going to assume that you believe that. That you believe that the Lord might come even before this service ends. You know, one of the problems that people have is that seems so far-fetched. It seems like something that's way out there beyond science fiction. To think about the Lord coming in the clouds of the air and all of a sudden the dead in Christ rising up from the grave to meet the Lord in the air. And those of us Christians, those Christians that are alive and remain, that we're going to be caught up, that we'll suddenly vanish and suddenly leave this earth and everybody else left here to go through a seven-year tribulation period. That seems like something you might see in the movies, not something that could be real. I, I don't know why folks have such a hard time embracing the thought of God doing something that's supernatural. Why, why would that bother you? After all, he created the heavens and the earth and everything with a, by just speaking the word. He said, let there be this and let there be that. And all of it just came into existence. It was, look, God doesn't have to strain himself to create a world. All he has to do is speak the word and there it is. We think about all the modern day technology and what, what man can do and how wonderful it is and I don't understand all this sending signals through the air. Those satellites up there, I can't even see them up there. And yet I read the other day that somebody putting satellites up over Africa to make sure everybody could get their cell phone use. I don't understand how all that stuff works, but I don't have any problem believing it because I see the effects of it. And I don't have any problem believing that the Lord is coming, that He could come at any time because that's exactly what the Bible says. So, so let's think about our text, which was what? Occupy. We talked about that and the meaning of it. And then last week we talked about what that looks like. The word simply means to do business. By the way, I'm going to preach tonight about the believer's business. Not from this text, I promise. Don't get excited. But now, notice, he says, occupy, do business. And he, he explains what that is in other parables and other places. Till I come. Occupy till I come. First of all, that's, it's easy to see that's a command. You know, some people put a lot of stock in certain commands, you know, that we find in the Bible, but they put none whatsoever in others. In other words, the Bible says, well, thou shalt not do this. And they say, well, oh, yeah, we, we, we shouldn't do that. I mean, boy, that's a no-no. That's on our list. And we've all got our list of those sins that we desperately want to avoid because they, they just look so unchristian-like. Oh, I, I wouldn't be caught dead doing that. But then whenever it comes to this, they seem to have no problem ignoring this command, doing business for the Lord until He comes. And they just totally ignore that. As long as they stay out of the bars and the honky-tonks and places like that, as long as they carry their Bible to church and give their tithe to the church, you know, every, everything 
in their mind is all right, but it's not all right if we're not doing business until he comes. Look, we don't have an option in this. It's not for us to decide what we ought to be doing. That's laid out clearly in the Word of God. To refuse to do the Lord's business till He comes is a matter of disobedience to the Lord. And it's easy for us to get critical of people that obey or disobey God in certain areas, but we seem to be all right with us disobeying God in this area of our life. So this is a command, but it's not just a command. It's a challenge. And I say that because we have to do business for the Lord in a hostile environment. The Bible over and over speaks about the hostility of this world towards God. The world, I'm talking about this worldly system. Remember that Satan is the God of this world. The song Kathy sang just a few minutes ago really describes it well that, you know, this this world is not our home. This is not our final dwelling place. We're strangers. We're pilgrims. We're headed toward our heavenly home. But as long as we're in this world, we can expect there to be hostility in this world, hatred toward those of us who know the Lord. And whenever he says, till I come, that would include that first century of believers Have you ever read about all of the horrible, terrible persecution those believers went through? And then you think about the centuries that followed that. As a young Christian, some way or another, I came across the the book that used to be famous. Most people today have never heard of it. Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's, if you get, you know, the old original book, uh, you know, with the... English as it was, it's really hard reading, but I'll tell you what, you've never read anything like it. Describing the horrible persecution that Christians have suffered all because they chose to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation by grace through faith. And because of that, they were burned at the stake. They were dipped in hot oil and, and other things that I won't even go into. Horrible persecution. And the Lord's saying, I want you to do business, occupy till I come. That includes the first century and all of the centuries. And it speaks as to all of the nations of the earth. Remember, he gave us the command to go into all of the world and preach the gospel. So it doesn't make any difference where we're at or what we're doing. Some way we have the idea that here in America that we ought to serve God because we have religious freedom. And boy, that we ought to be zealous for the Lord. But if we live in another place, maybe like China or some place where people are being persecuted, that it's all right for us to compromise and not serve God. It's not all right anywhere. We have an obligation wherever we are to do business for the Lord till He comes. Times are changing. Paul said they would in the last days perilous times. That means difficult and dangerous. Perilous times will come. And boy, we're seeing it even here in America. And 
And if the Lord happens to not come for the next 20 or 30 years and we haven't seen anything yet as to what's just around the corner if a lot of our politicians have their way. And we think about that and those of us that are older, we begin to think about our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren and how they might be affected. And it's a matter of concern for us. And yet the Bible says, Be ye therefore steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Regardless of the difficulty, we're never dismissed from duty. We have that responsibility. And that's why I say this is a, this is a challenge. Whenever the, our problems, you know, try to discourage us and our pleasures try to distract us and people try to dissuade us from serving the Lord, there's no place to quit. We're to do as John said in Revelation, we're to be faithful, what? Un, unto death. He didn't say until death. Now, he could have said that. We ought to be faithful until death. But when he says faithful unto death, he is implying that our faithfulness could lead to our death. And that we ought not to slack off or give up or quit just because of the persecution that we're going to suffer. So this is a challenge. Nobody ever said that it would be easy to serve the Lord. It's not been easy in any generation. But there's something else. When we think about serving the Lord until He comes, that we need to consider that in being faithful to the Lord, this is also a confirmation. The, the actions of these servants in the parable here proved whether they were good. Notice or verse 22, whether they were wicked. There were good servants, there were wicked servants, and you could tell the difference by the things that they did. And even so, it's by our actions and by our attitude that we prove whether or not we're faithful servants of the Lord. You know, just saying, well, boy, I love the Lord with all of the heart and I'm, I'm going to serve Him till the day I die. You know, that's wonderful that you said that but if we're not doing that it really doesn't mean anything whatsoever whenever we serve him regardless of the circumstances when we do that as we're commanded it confirms our claims as a christian in other words it proves our profession Jesus made that clear in John chapter number 14 where he says if a man love me he will keep my commandments he didn't say he might. He said he will. Amen. And we need to understand how important that is because in doing the Lord's business, it requires us getting involved with people and getting involved in the sense of meeting the needs of people. I suspect that anybody that's anywhere close to my age, there have been some times in your life you thought, wow, Oh, I just wish I could just I wish I could just get away from it all. I, I wish I could have a little ten acre plot of land out here with a twenty foot high fence around it and some guard dogs and nobody would ever bother me, you know, and I could just not, you know, not have any distractions or be you know, 
whenever we're just pressed on every side with people everywhere, most of them rude. You can't drive down the highway without somebody threatening you. You go into the store and, you know, they act like they're doing you a favor by making 50% profit on the what they sell you and the rude and so forth. And after a while, you just get sick and tired of people. But if you're going to serve God, you can't get, do that because as the servants of the Lord doing business for God, we've got to come in contact with people and be glad of it. I, I never I never dreamed that I'd ever live in, in Houston, Texas. But I tell you, there's no place else on earth that I want to live. I want to be exactly right where I'm at. I couldn't be as happy anywhere else on the earth as I am right here in Houston, Texas. Simply because I know this is where God put me. Now... The point is, and we're talking about a confirmation when we're serving God and we have that determination that He could come any day and that we've got to be busy about the Master's business, doing the things that we know would be pleasing in His sight. Whenever we do that, it proves to others, it makes obvious to others our love for the Lord and that we are indeed Christians. William Barclay many years ago, wrote this. He said, God will judge us in accordance with our reaction to human need. His judgment does not depend on the knowledge we have amazed or the fame we have acquired or the fortune that we have gained, but on the help that we have given. Think about that. That when we as Christians stand before the Lord to be rewarded, And all of our works are taken into account. It's whether or not that we have been helpful to others that's going to really matter and determine what our reward will be. And naturally, the greatest help that we can give other people is what? Well, it's the gospel. If we're not doing that, well, we're failing altogether. But that's not the only need that people have. There are other needs And we have an obligation to respond to those needs. And it's as we do that that we're confirming the fact. You see, as I said last week, there are people that are watching you. You don't don't know it. They don't, you know, your co-workers or classmates, they don't just come right out and say, well, I watch you every day. I want to see if if you're a hypocrite or not. They're not telling you that, but believe me, they're watching They're watching. And what they see makes a difference. It's the difference between whether or not that we'll ever be able to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, we can, by our ill behavior, we can make the glorious gospel something that is repulsive to people. That's why you hear so many people say, I don't want to go to church. There are too many hypocrites in the church. You know, they don't think about that whenever they shop for groceries or buy gas or go to the doctor or anything else, but for some reason they're hung up on this thing of hypocrites in the church. Sure, there are hypocrites in the church. There's no doubt about that. But let me tell you, they're in the minority for the most part, and it wouldn't make any difference. By the way, you have an obligation to do what God says, regardless of what the hypocrites do. But I want to tell you, we as believers have a God-given responsibility to live, here's the key word, blamelessly before them. To live a life, 
you know, God knows we're not going to live a perfect life here on earth. He knows that. But we can all be blameless. And that word blameless means that no indictable charge can be brought against us. That we're living our life the very best that we can so that nobody can point a finger at us, make accusations about us, and prove it. That's our responsibility to live a blameless life. Occupy, he said, until I come. That is indeed a challenge. It's a commandment. It is a confirmation of whether we really truly believe that He could come at any moment. But it's also a comfort. I say it's a comfort because knowing that you've done what God commanded provides great peace. There's comfort in complying with His command. Just knowing that you have fulfilled God's purpose. You might never climb the highest mountain, swim the widest sea, make a million dollars, become rich and famous or any of those things. But boy, there's great comfort whenever you put your head on the pillow at night knowing that and at least I did what God wanted me to do today. It gives you a sense of satisfaction that you can't find anywhere else. And that's worth more than any amount of fortune and fame. I hope that it can be said of every one of us that we come down to the end of life's road like the Apostle Paul when he said, For I am now ready to be offered for the time of my departure, he's using a nautical term now, the time of my departure is at hand. It's about time for me to ship out is what he's saying. I have fought a good fight and I have finished my course and I've kept the faith. Wouldn't it be wonderful we could all live that way right down to the very end, living in the light of our Lord's promise that he could come at any moment. We used to sing that old song, I'll work. Till Jesus comes. That's one of our oldest hymns. I haven't heard that, I'll bet, in over 30 years. I'll, we'll work till Jesus comes and soon be carried home. I wonder why we don't sing that anymore. That old song's over 200 years old. It's in the Baptist hymnal. And um, we just don't seem to want to think much about the fact that Jesus could come even today. And lastly, folks, listen. This is all a matter of choice. You go back and look through the parable. The parable of the servants. And also you look at the nobleman who went into the far country as it were. And his subjects that rebelled against him. In both the case of the subjects that hated him. And the servants. In both cases it was all a matter of choice. You see, God gives us commandments, God gives us instructions, God gives us promises, God gives us warnings, but God doesn't force any of us to make the choice. We, each one, have to make that choice that we're going to obey Him. I, I don't know if Jesus is coming today or tomorrow. I, I, I don't know. I'd be a fool to get up here and to say, I know when He's coming. And believe me, there are some folks that have made a fool out of themselves thinking that, they're, that they were smart enough to figure it all out when the Lord clearly says, we don't, know, we don't know when He's coming back. But I know He could come before the benediction of this service. That's a possibility. 
Amen. In an hour when you least expect it, that he's going to come in the clouds of the air and we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And we've got a choice to make. Either we're going to live our life in light of that promise or we're just going to kind of sweep it under the rug and ignore it and go on living like we please. We've got a choice to make. Joshua knew what the right thing to do was whenever he challenged the nation of Israel. And he said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You ever think about the, the importance of making the right choices in life? Boy, I can look back in my life and think of some of the stupid things I did and how foolish it was. And the reason I made most of their, those choices is because I gave no consideration to the possible consequences. I just based my choice on how I felt at the moment. You know, well, this would feel good or this would be fun, so I think I'll do that. Never considering the consequences of that. You better think about the consequences of your choice. Whether you're a Christian or not. For the Christian, for the Christian, one day we're going to stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ. This has nothing to do with salvation. The judgment seat of Christ is where we will stand and our works will be reviewed and we'll gain rewards according to what we've done here on earth. That ought, that ought to matter to you. And for those that are not saved, they'll appear at the great white throne judgment of God for their final sentence of condemnation just before they are banished from the presence of God forever and ever. I'm telling you, you've got a choice to make this morning. You can say, well, preacher, I, it's just too far-fetched for me to believe that Jesus could come today. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you. I'm telling you what the Bible says. And you've got a choice. You can either believe what the Bible says or you can have the audacity to think you know more than God does and go ahead and, and base your decision on your assumptions and die and go to hell. The wise thing to do is say, you know, I... I sure don't understand it, but God said it, and so that settles it. That's, that's what I'm going to do. Sometimes you see me sitting there, and I maybe get my little, I always carry a three-by-five card. Got it with me all day, every day, a new one. And I'll jot something down, and I've often wondered, I you know, people are wondering, well, what is he writing down? Isn't he already ready to preach? Well, I'm ready to preach, but there'd be some thought come in my mind. And I was thinking about this message, the Lord coming, and the possibility of him coming at this very moment. And I got to thinking about how that so many people today, it's just ho-hum. Oh, yeah, I've been hearing that, you know, ever since I've become a Christian 30 years ago, yeah. Well, he still had, and, and after a while, we just put that, we, we don't put it on the back burner. We take it totally off the stove. It's like we just absolutely ignore the possibility that Jesus could come today. And I got to thinking that so many times we wonder about when does a church need revival? 
And it, it, you know, it might be that somebody would say, well, whenever everybody, you know, really starts talking about we need a revival, boy, that's when they really need a revival. No, when we really need a revival is when nobody's talking about the fact that we need a revival. That's when we are in desperate need of a revival. You just ask yourself, when's the last time you heard any member of the church talk to you or somebody else about, oh, I wish God had sent an old-fashioned, heaven-sent, devil-chasing, soul-saving revival that would turn us upside down and set us on fire. Why aren't we talking about that? Why aren't we praying for that? If Jesus could come at any moment... Boy, it ought to make a difference in the way that we look at everything. Change our attitude about absolutely everything. You say, oh, but yeah, you you just don't know the great loss I incurred this week. Well, you're going to lose it someday anyway. Bev and I, you know, we talk about what we lost in the floods that we've been through and what have you. But it, it was just a matter of time. One of these days, all of that stuff that means so much now, it won't mean anything to you then. Let us live in the light of the fact that Jesus could come at any moment and we'll leave this old world behind. Like an old song says, go stepping on the clouds. Amen. We'll see Jesus. That could be today. Would you be ready? Would you be ready if he came today? What a sad thought to think about, you know, glorious for those of us that are saved, but to think about every saved person in this room right now, suddenly, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, just gone. And you look around and you see maybe one here. I'd like to think that you wouldn't see anybody here. But the reality of it is there'd probably still be some that would be here that have never been saved, left alone. Left alone. Don't let that happen to you. Be ready because he could come today till Jesus comes. Let's stand. Father, There's so many things that we cannot possibly understand, things that we cannot explain, and we know that the world is up in arms demanding answers from us. And Lord, our only response can be, Thus saith the Lord. We just believe what you said, and we trust you. We know you're never wrong. And we believe you with all of our heart, Lord, whenever you you tell us that you'll come in an hour when we least expect it. And no doubt every person here has unsaved family, unsaved friends, people that they care about deeply. And Lord, in that day that when you come back, there's going to be a great divide. There will be those taken and those that are left. Help us to do what we can to reach our loved ones before it's too late. And if there's some man, some woman, or maybe maybe even a child that's of age here today that have never been saved, I pray that you'll just speak to their heart about the most important need of their life 
that they might come receiving Christ as their Savior today. For we beg it in Jesus' dear name. Amen. While we stand